Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. So uh, we are diving back today into the book of Ephesians. And if you've been around at all, uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians for a minute. Come on, somebody. And I like to say, and I said this in the first uh, service as well, the Bible is far deeper. If you're new to Christianity, if you're new to your faith in Christ, this is what you're going to discover. The Bible is far deeper than it is long. And Friends, it's a long book, right? A couple, I don't know, over a thousand pages easy, depending on which uh, version or how many words per page you got. But what you'll find is this, as you read the Bible throughout your life, as you dive into God's word, every time you go through it, I promise you this experience is gonna happen. You're gonna read a verse that maybe you've read two, three, four times, and you're gonna say to yourself, There's no way that verse was in the Bible the first time I read this book. There's no way. Or it's just going to hit you in a way that you've never thought of before. And what you're going to find is that the Bible speaks to us. It's living and active. It's God's word. And it speaks to us in every season of life. Speaks to us in just the right way at just the right time. Amen? Amen. So we are diving back into the book of Ephesians. And, you know, we have been off and on in this book since the spring. And as I was thinking about today's message, I just could not get away from this this one word. It shows up all throughout the book of Ephesians. It It shows up all throughout the Bible. One of the central themes of the Bible. You know, it's a... (laughs) <laughs> you know, small little concept that we'll just go ahead and call uh, faith. Faith. And so today we're going we're gonna to talk about faith from not just the book of Ephesians, but specifically from several other passages in the New Testament. Because if you step back and you think about the Christian religion, which is more frequently referred to as the Christian faith, Faith is actually what sets Christianity apart from every other worldview and from every other world religion. Faith is what makes Christianity Christianity. And so we'll start by way of just a simple definition, okay? And you can look this up in Webster's Dictionary. Here's what faith means, and I think this actually works pretty well. Faith is complete trust or confidence, Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And we know this as humans. The human heart is wired for faith. We're all going to put our faith in someone or something. We're all going to put our faith in someone or something. And Paul talks about faith very specifically in the book of Ephesians. He says it like this earlier on in the book, and we've already been through this verse, but I want to hit it again. It's so important. He says, by grace, you have been saved through faith. By grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. And so the gift of salvation, and I I love this Greek word, saved, salvation. It's In Greek, it's pronounced sozo. 
sozo. And it doesn't just mean to save someone from peril, to save someone from certain death. It also means total and complete healing. And friends, when you put your faith in Jesus, what, what Paul is saying here, what Paul is arguing here in the sense of defending, not trying to start an argument, but defending here is the fact that faith is the beginning of your healing as a human soul, as a person, total and complete healing. So faith is a doorway into salvation. Faith is where you receive the grace of God. It's by which you receive the grace of God, and it's a gift from God. Paul goes on later in Ephesians to describe faith in this way with the armor of God, and I, I love this. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith, and I love it because the shield that Paul would have been referring to in that era of history was not, you know, it wasn't like a wimpy little round wooden shield, you know, not like a, not like one of those. This thing was a massive shield that those on the front line would head into battle with, and it would be anchored into the ground, and it would be roughly six feet tall or taller, would cover the entire front line. And the armies would advance step by step with shield and with sword or with shield and with spear. And Paul says this, he's, he's giving us a picture of what faith can accomplish for us. He said, it's like a shield that protects your entire body with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What a promise. What a gift that faith can be for us. Galatians 3.11, Paul says it like this. He says, the righteous will live by faith. Those who are right with God, those who are following Jesus, Christians, will live by faith. Now, that has two meanings. Not only when you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, do you come spiritually alive. Not only do you go from death to life by faith in Jesus, but also what Paul is saying is, hey, every step of every day, every step you take, you will live and walk by faith, by complete and total trust and dependence on God, by faith in the one who is faithful, by faith in the one who has never broken a promise, who has never gone back on his word, by faith in the one who's faithful. Paul is saying here, Christianity is set apart from everything else. The Christian life is defined by faith. You can think of it like this. I remember um, back in the pandemic, a little while back, like everybody else, you know, I set up a home office. And I remember uh, going on Amazon and trying to find a desk. <laughs> that was like the most impossible task, right? So everybody's buying desks for their homes or trying to figure out how do I set up a home office. And I remember finding one because I wanted one that could stand up. I really enjoy a stand-up desk. For some reason, it helps me focus. It just kind of keeps me active in what I'm doing. So I really wanted a stand-up desk. And the one that they had left, it was a little motorized stand-up desk. So you hit a button and it rises up and you can stand and do your work. And I remember I picked out a specific size, uh, you know, a specific color for this desk. And, you know, maybe three or four days later, it arrived on my front porch. And, and I remember looking at the box. And, uh, you know, I remember how big, how wide the desk was supposed to be. 
And the box was that wide, but the box was about, I don't know, that thick. And so it was a very skinny box. And I remember thinking, and, and we all know this, when, when what you order is big, but the box is small, you're about to spend some time with a screwdriver and some tools and everything else, because you're going to have to put every single piece of that sucker together. Praise God, somebody. I lost my faith three times and came back to Jesus over the course of the next two days because, and I don't know if this was just a, you know, a pandemic reality or what was happening, but when I got this, I'm sure manufacturers were hustling to get things in production, to get them out, but it came not with a traditional set of instructions, you know, like an instruction book, you know, step one, step two, step three. It came with something, and I looked up the official term for this, it's called an exploded diagram. And I'm not kidding you, it looks something like this. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it gives you every single piece of the desk with the numbers so you know the name of all the pieces and it shows you exactly how they're all supposed to fit together with arrows. But here's the problem, friends. It did not give you, and this is not, a de this is not my desk, I'm just giving you an example. It looked like this though. The problem is this, it doesn't tell you the order. And so I'll never forget, I get into this thing and I'm, I'm you know, trying to like, you know, look so closely at which screws to use for the top and the shelves and the desk drawers. And I remember finishing the entire top section of the desk, which, you know, was a rectangular, but it was enclosed and it had drawers. And then I remember, you know, reaching over for the motor that would control the desk to make it go up and down. And the arrow pointed inside to the behind the area where the drawers were. And I remember trying to stick the motor in there and I realized, oh, should have put the motor in first because it doesn't fit. And that same experience happened about four different times, at which point I lost my salvation. And then I had to leave and come back the next day. Uh, you know how that goes. But friends, faith is like this for the Christian. Faith doesn't just, you know, Christianity and life, it's complicated. It matters which direction things are facing. It matters how things fit together, but the order matters too. And faith is the first instruction. It's the first step for the Christian. It's the first movement in the Christian's life. It says, I'm believing in what Jesus did for me by faith. And, and the faith that we have in Christ is also that which holds everything else together, shows you how, it's all, how it all fits. It gives us access to everything that God is offering to us in Christ. There's a verse I was thinking about in Hebrews. Hebrews has a lot to say about this reality of faith. And if you have a Bible, you can open it. But Hebrews 4 says it like this. Hebrews 4, verse 2. It says, the good news. The good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard, the good news that they heard, did not benefit them. Because they were not, the message, it was not united by faith with those who listened. Do you understand what Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is saying here? He's saying, Look, you can hear 
the message of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, the fact that God came down to earth in the form of a man named Jesus, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserved on the cross, and then defeated death for you and me so that we could live forever. He rose from the dead so that by faith in him, now we are connected to his life. And that's good news. Amen, somebody. That is good news, right? But it's not good news for you unless you have faith. Unless you're connected to the good news by faith. Unless it says the word united. It says this, they didn't receive any of the benefits of this because it was not united by faith. The news they heard, they did not attach their hearts and their minds and their lives to it by faith. And so friends, faith is such a centrally, central and important reality for every Christian, for you and I. It's, it's the doorway by which we walk into everything else. It's complete trust and confidence in what Jesus did for us in the past and what he promises to do for us in the future by making all things new, by wiping away every tear, by making every injustice right. Love how C.S. Lewis said it. He says, faith, this is so good, is the art of holding on to things despite your changing moods and circumstances. Whew, that's true. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. That's what faith does, right? When you put your faith in Christ, it's not that suddenly you just now see Jesus. Now suddenly the entire world makes sense in a way it didn't before. Now suddenly... You see everything else. Suddenly, the reality of healing and salvation and sin and righteousness and all these truths that are found in the Christian worldview, they come alive. They become real. By faith, we see everything else. It provides the order and the direction for everything in our lives. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say in chapter 11, which if you want to read a chapter of your Bible this week, read Hebrews chapter 11. It's the most famous chapter in the Bible on faith, right? Now, in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it says this, something that's a little startling. It says, without faith, it is impossible it's impossible to please him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe. The word for faith and believe is the same root word in Greek. Same word. So if you want to draw near to God, if you want to have relationship with God, you must believe that he's there, that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. So without faith in God, there's no salvation. There's no justification. There's no all the benefits that come with Christ. It's impossible to please God. God is for you. God has made a way for you to find salvation. God loves you. 
No strings attached, but the way that you step into the benefit of everything that God offers is through the doorway of faith. Now, this is amazing because Jesus, earlier in the New Testament in Matthew, he says the exact opposite, not in contradictory form, but he says, check this out, all right? He says, truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So without faith, the most important thing in your life, the relationship with God, is impossible. Connecting your life to the giver of life, the source of life, the one who made you and sustains you, the one who gave you the breath that you just took, the one who is holding all things together, the author of this world, Without faith, there is no relationship with him. Everything is impossible. But with faith, by faith, nothing will be impossible for you. You have access to God and everything, every benefit that he has promised. And friends, nothing is impossible for you. It's amazing. I, in Ephesians 4.13 Paul actually refers to Christianity, not as a religion, but as the faith. Here's what he says. He's talking about all of us growing into maturity, growing up into who we're called to be in Christ. And he says, we need to keep growing until we all arrive at the unity of the faith. This way of life that we're living, he refers to it as the faith. Friends, as I mentioned Christianity is set apart from every world religion by this central, this central concept of faith. I looked up, you can Google this. I thought, man, I'm gonna look up the five primary world religions right now. Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, and Hinduism. And, and I, I, I wanted to know what I, what's the simplest Google answer for the core beliefs. I've I've had an opportunity to study most of these religions back in seminary, but I thought, man, how, how does Google, how does the encyclopedia or whatever describe these religions? For Islam, it says this. It says right off the bat, the religious obligations of all Muslims are summed up in five pillars, right? It says the first one includes belief in God. So there is faith at one level, among Muslims in Islam. It says the first pillar is belief in God and his prophet. And here's what it connects though. This is the immediately after it says, and obligations of prayer, charity, pilgrimage, and fasting. None of those things are bad. Prayer, we're called to pray. Charity, generosity, kindness, pilgrimage for them, it's heading to Mecca. And fasting, self-denial says the fundamental concept of Islam is Sharia law, law, which embraces the total way of commands from God, the total, total way of life commanded by God. So Islam at its core is not just belief in God. You have to do a lot of other stuff in order to be in with God. It's combined with a whole bunch of other stuff. Judaism, so the, the core of Judaism is this, is um, it says, the Jewish people believe there's only one God who has established a covenant or a special agreement with them called the Torah. 
So the Torah is their law. The Torah is all the laws and commandments given to the Israelites at Sinai. They believe they must follow God's law, which governed daily life. So the foundational reality of Islam is Sharia law. The foundational reality of Judaism is the Torah, which is the Jewish law. Buddhism and Hinduism both believe in this reality of karma and incarnation, reincarnation. So if you do enough good stuff, if you take a closer step to enlightenment, to nirvana, by enough good deeds, then maybe you won't come back as an animal in the next life. Or uh, eventually you'll come back as a more enlightened version of yourself until you've done enough good deeds and meditated and self-denial and gotten through the suffering of life and, and cared for enough people. You've done enough good things that eventually you get out of this cycle of reincarnation and you reach nirvana. But it's completely based on you and what are you doing. And here's what struck me, right? As, as you look at Christianity, as you look at what Christianity is about, all of these other major world religions, they are based on some form of a law and commands. They are based on some version of good behavior and enlightenment that produces good karma for the future. They're based on this simple question, what are you doing and Christianity is so different. You see, in about 300 years after Jesus, and this was the second time this happened, all the Christians of the world got together and said, okay, we're gonna have a big meeting. We're gonna call it a council, the Council of Nicaea. And they said, okay, we are going to uh, determine because there's so many different denominations that are happening, Eastern Orthodoxy, Catholicism, there's all these different versions of Christianity that are starting to just explode everywhere. So we're getting together to, to figure out what do we agree on. That's a challenge for Christians sometimes, to figure out what do we agree on, okay? What are the central tenets of the Christian faith? If we had to describe Christianity to someone, what would we say? How would we do it? What would we put together? Now, they came up with something called the Nicene Creed. Uh, did anybody grow up Catholic? Okay, I'm about to read this for y'all. Y'all could probably recite it in your sleep right now. I promise you. I grew up Episcopal, Episcopalian. And so we said this every Sunday. And it still holds as one of the foundational clarifying documents of the Christian faith. This is what Christians are about. Now, I want you to see this. This is amazing. This is what they came up with just a few hundred years after Christ. Opening line, we believe, right? We have faith in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. I know some of you are like repeating this under your breath. It's taking you back to your childhood. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light. It goes on. The next one, it says it again. We are through him. All things were made for our salvation. We, next one, we'll keep going. It's long. We'll go to the next one. We believe on the third day he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven. We'll go to the next one. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son. We'll go to the next one. We believe in one holy and apostolic church. Acknowledge one baptism. We'll go to the next one. Amen. That was the last one. 
It's been a while since I was in Episcopal church. Um, it says amen at the end. But you can't miss it. You notice how every section starts? Faith. We believe. You see, the amazing thing, and this is what struck me, every major religion on earth has one foundation. Doing. What are you doing? Have you done enough, right? It's all about doing. It's about law. It's about obeying. It's about all of that. That's the foundation of religion. The foundation of faith is done. It's done. And this is what it's getting at, right? Religion says, what are you doing? Are you doing enough? But faith asks the question, will you believe what Jesus has done for you? For you. And friends, that will actually produce a lot of doing, <laughs> Christians have done amazing things. They've changed the world. They've started hospitals and schools and orphanages. They've made music and art and poetry. Christianity has literally shaped history, human civilization. Christians are, are all about doing, but it starts with what Jesus has done. And we stand under the waterfall of God's grace and mercy and love, knowing I can't ever climb my way back into God's favor. I was dead. I was separated. I had no shot. Doesn't matter how much I'm doing. It's not enough. What I have to accept and realize is the beginning of everything else is, will I believe? Will I have faith in what God has done for me? Every other religion says, work a little harder. Maybe some good things will happen to you in the next life. God, God says through his son Jesus in Christianity, I love you too much and I know you can't work hard enough. The gap's too wide. It's too far. I just need you to believe in what I've done for you. Just need you to believe in what I've done for you. And faith, when you are truly connected to that, it changes everything. It changes everything about us. So faith gives us access into all the promises of God, but faith must be activated and it must be anchored. So what is faith? Well, faith when we ask that question, a lot of times we think of it as sort of this ethereal thing that's out there somewhere or maybe inside of us, but it's not very tangible. It's not very, it's not something that I can really, you know, necessarily wrap my arms around. But we can see faith because true faith, even though we're not saved by doing or the good deeds, or the things that Jesus has called us to do, right? We're not saved by those things, but they are actually a result of faith. And I think back to the story of Abraham. And if you have a Bible, you can turn. It'll be on the side screens. But we're going to look at Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. And here's what it says of Abraham, who's considered the father of our faith. And this is what it means to activate faith, right? It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Mm, come on, somebody. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Let's stop right there. 
faith is not waiting and saying, Lord, if you just give me a little more faith, I'll take that step. Faith is actually found, it's activated as you begin to step. You, You actually have to step before you know sometimes. That's how all of us started in our Christian faith. There's so many questions, there's so many things that, Lord, at some level, we, I, this is founded on truth. I can give reasonable explanations and answers to defend my faith. But in the beginning, I'm just glad. I'm just receiving grace. And then following Jesus is an act of faith. It's taking a step. It's not like Google Maps. Gotta love some Google Maps. I'd be lost all the time without some Google Maps. Google Maps is amazing because you actually enter in your destination And then it shows you step-by-step how to get there every turn to make. It even shows you if traffic is bad on 50, so you should take a different route. It shows you everything. But faith isn't like that. It doesn't necessarily show you the destination. It just says, hey, please take the next step. I need you to activate the faith. I, I need you to trust me, have complete confidence in who I am, what I've done for you. Verse 17 of this story about Abraham. Maybe you've heard this story from the Old Testament. It refers back to probably one of, one of the hardest stories. If you're new to Christianity or you're new to the Bible and you're, you start in Genesis and you start reading, you're gonna have some questions, okay? Just tell you that right up front. But when you get to chapter 22, God has called this man Abraham. He says, I want you to go to a place that I will show you. Just start walking, Abraham. Just start walking. I'm gonna show you where you're gonna go and everywhere to turn along the way. Abraham's like, okay, I'm going. But along the way, he says, Abraham, I'm gonna, I'm gonna your descendants, Abraham, are gonna be more than the sands of the sea. And he said, through you, Abraham, I'm gonna bless the entire world. Uh, you, you're gonna have a son, And he's going to be the heir of the promise. And that promise that I made to Eve in the Garden of Eden, the moment they turned their back on me, the moment Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, the moment they began to die, the moment death came on the scene, Abraham, I made a promise that I was going to crush the head of the serpent and that through the seed of the woman that all the nations would be blessed. I would bring salvation. I would bring humanity back to Eden, back to life. And Abraham, you're the next link in this chain of promise, and I'm a promise-keeping God, so you're going to have a son, Abraham. Even in your old age, at age 99, you're going to have a son, and Sarah, your wife, is going to conceive, and you're going to call him Isaac. And you're like, whoa, this is amazing. God is making good on his promises through crazy circumstances. And then you get to chapter 22, and God looks at Abraham and goes, Abraham, I need you to do something today. I want you to walk right now to the mountain I will show you along the way, and I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, if I, if I was not, you know, if I, if I was not a Christian, if I was exploring this for the first time, I, I would literally just say, okay, thank you. At that point, I don't want to know anything else about this God. That is barbaric. That is crazy. What are you talking You've been promising this guy his whole life that he's going to have a son, and now he has this son. When he was as good as dead, is what the scripture says, and now you're asking him to sacrifice his own son? 
This is crazy. Don't stop there. I'm just telling you, keep reading, okay? It gets to this moment, and we'll read it right now in Hebrews. This is the New Testament translation of what happened in verse 17. So check this out. We'll read it for us. I'll read it for us. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Right in that moment, God steps in and goes, Abraham, stop. Stop, Abraham, don't do it. I would never, Abraham, at the end of the day, I would never have you kill your own son. Abraham, this entire situation isn't even really about you or Isaac. It's a picture of something I'm gonna do for the world one day. Abraham, this is going to be recorded in my words to humanity because one day I'm going to offer my only son that I love, who's actually me, because in that moment, right before Abraham went through, God said, stop, Abraham. And Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught in the thicket. And he went and got the ram. He took his son. He unbound his son. Imagine that moment. He put the, the ram on the altar and he sacrificed the ram and he said, I will call the name of this place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And God, thousands of years later through Jesus Christ, he says, I will provide. You can't do this, you can't fix this, but I can. And I'm gonna conquer death and I'm going to myself become the sacrifice that you could never be. All of this is connecting us to a greater picture. Friends, faith must be activated knowing that the God we serve is faithful, that he never goes back on a promise and that the end of the story is that he can raise the dead. He will make all things new so we can have endurance to face whatever pain we're going through in this life, no matter how deep or how hard. I want to close with this. The keys can come out for this moment. Friends, faith, faith must be activated. It begins by taking that step of obedience, of following Jesus, of trusting him along the way, but it has to be anchored as well. I was reading this story from Luke chapter eight, and I, I've preached on this before. I've probably read this story, I don't know how many times, I think I actually wrote a paper on it in seminary and I actually completely disagree with my paper now. Completely. I think whatever I wrote in seminary, I, I'm gonna hit delete on that one if it's still on my computer. Because as I was reading it this week, it's a story that many of us are familiar with and there are different storm stories like this in the New Testament and several of them are slightly different, but this one in Luke goes like this. It says, one day Jesus said to his disciples starting in verse 22 of Luke chapter eight. Hey, he said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep and a squall, a storm, a wind came down on the lake so that the boat was being filled with water. Waves were crashing over the side and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown. We're going to drown. 
He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and was calm. Then he looked at them and he said, where is your faith? He asked his disciples, where is your faith? He doesn't ask them, you don't have any faith. He doesn't say, you've got no faith right now. He, he accuses them of that elsewhere. But in this moment, he just goes, where's your faith? You've got it. You've just put it in the wrong thing. You've placed your faith in that storm. But here's what's crazy. He asked his disciples, where is your faith? In a sense, you've got to pull it out. You've got to activate it. You've got to put it, you've got to anchor it in the right thing, not in the storm. And after he rebuked the wind and the waters and everything was calm, it says this, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? It's a great question. It's the right question. Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. You know what struck me as I was reading it? I never saw this before, never saw this before. You see, I thought when the, when the wind and the waves came upon the boat, I thought the disciples went to wake up Jesus so that he would stop the storm and save them, right? I mean, isn't that how we read it most of the time? We read it as though, okay, we gotta wake this guy up because he can stop the storm and we'll be okay. But when he wakes up and he stops the storm, what does it say? It says in fear and amazement, they said, who is this? That, here's what this means. They were not expecting him to do that. That blew their minds. They were afraid of him suddenly. You see, the disciples weren't waking up Jesus. Don't miss this, friends. They weren't waking up Jesus so that Jesus could stop the storm and save them. They were waking up Jesus to save Jesus. Friends, he had just been feeding thousands of people, doing miracles, teaching for days on end. He got to the boat and I imagine he was exhausted, physically worn out, depleted, so much so that he immediately fell asleep in a boat. And even when the storm came and waves were crashing over the side, he had completely spent all of his energy and the disciples rushed to him and said, hey, Jesus, time to wake up. We gotta swim for it. We're about to drown. Master, we're all drowning here. I know you're exhausted. We've tried to manage this, but here, hop on Peter's back or we're gonna get you to the shore. We're gonna make sure you're okay, Jesus. I never saw that before. They were trying to save Jesus and Jesus wakes up. He goes, where's your faith? You've anchored it in the wrong thing. You don't even know who I am. And he goes, storm, wind, waves, be still. Jesus goes, look, this whole thing is not about you saving me. It's about me saving you. And they, they looked at Jesus in fear and amazement as the entire Sea of Galilee settled. And they said, who is this? We've seen him do some amazing stuff. We've seen him heal lame people. We've seen him cure leprosy. We've seen blind eyes open. We've seen deaf people hear. We've seen him heal every manner of things, cast out demons. But he just commanded the wind and the waves. 
We were not expecting that. We were here trying to save him. And he goes, actually, I've come to save you. He goes, where is your faith? Friends, faith has to be anchored in the right thing. It has to be activated. We have to walk by faith. We have to live by faith. But faith is, Christian faith is very specific. It's faith in Jesus. It's answering the question, who is this? By saying, you are God. You are the savior. You're my only hope. I can't stop this storm. You can. And friends, when we begin to anchor ourselves to the identity of Christ, have complete trust and confidence in who he is, let me tell you right now, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're walking through, no matter where you're at at this moment in life, if your faith is anchored in Christ, it's all gonna be okay. Because even if it's not okay right now, what we believe is that this, this life is not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. C.S. Lewis says, this whole life is just the first chapter and it's a tragic one. It's hard. There's a lot of suffering. But he goes, the next chapter and the next page and the, the rest of this story, for those that have faith in Christ, this is just the beginning, but everything to come next, the healing, the restoration of all things that we know is coming because God has never broken a promise and Jesus Christ rose from the dead and defeated death. So even the greatest pain that we experience on this life is not the end of the story. Our faith is anchored to the one who's going to make it all right in the end. So you can make it through. And if we really believe that, it changes everything about the experience of what we're facing now. So friends, faith gives us access to all the benefits of salvation. Faith heals us. Faith has to be activated. We have to walk and step and trust the promises of God. And faith has to be anchored in Christ no matter what storm you're walking through. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.